King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was standing beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue it, uh, none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power... The large horn was broken off, and in its place four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown down to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people? He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, There before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Midia and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. 
the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Shall we pray as we come to this word, Daniel chapter 8 this evening? Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would help us to listen to it well. Would we be able to think clearly and wisely about the future? Uh, Comfort us where we need comforting. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. And most of all, show us your grand plan centred in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the year 2022 uh, was a big year in my family. Uh, Our eldest started at primary school. Now, for many years, I'd heard the stories of parents at the school gates in tears Uh, The advice of always making sure your washing machine was empty, ready for the day's clothes. Uh, The daily battle of picking what to have for lunch from the set menu each day. But for all that information, the first day at school was still daunting. It was still daunting for my daughter, but let's face it, also daunting for her parents too. Then the email came into our inbox. Subject, your child's first day at school. In the email was a list of things that were going to happen. uh, Timings, explanations, suggestions on how to make the first day more comfortable. It was meant to be all about our daughter, but I suspect very much it was aimed at us, the parents. It didn't help us with the emotion of the day. But it did help set our expectations. It was still a hard day, but we did know what and how things were going to work. And we knew most importantly that the day would end. So I tell that story for the sake of of saying that knowing where things are going gives us hope in the now. If you know the details of what is going to come, even though they might not seem fun at the time you know that there is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is sunshine after the rain. As we look out at the world now, we see all sorts of things, don't we, that can make us feel uneasy. Perhaps it's watching that balloon flying over America this week. Perhaps it's the wars that we see in Eastern Europe. Perhaps it's the escalations that we hear being threatened. 
Perhaps it's the cost of living uh, as mortgage prices are going up. Perhaps it's something specifically personal that affects only you. In each and every situation this evening, we can take comfort in the fact that God has everything in hand. And that he is bringing everything, absolutely everything, to his glorious finale. You've joined us this evening, if this is your first time, in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. And Daniel, Daniel definitely needs to know this. See, Daniel, he was ripped from his surroundings as a youngster. He was brought into a land ruled by the world's superpower, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He saw his home destroyed, uh, the temple of his gods torn down, and the hope for his future was bleak. Daniel had lived most of his life in exile, seeing oppression, seeing kingdom versus kingdom, seeing a change of government, and in his later years, an experience himself of spending the night with the ruler's pet lions. To put it bluntly, Daniel's experience of exile had been grim. If, after working your way through Daniel, we leave with a picture of fluffy lions, we have missed the point of the picture that it's painting us. And as we come into chapters 7 to 12, we're given four visions. Four visions that Daniel had throughout his life. And these visions, just like the email I got from the school, give Daniel a view of the future. A view of the future specifically to help him live in the now. To set his expectations. To give wisdom for the weary. So how can Daniel, how can God's people, how can we live wisely as we look to the future? Well, the answer to that question is this. By knowing what's to come. Being told about the future lets you live wisely in the now. It sets expectations. It gives confidence. Being told about the future lets you live wisely in the now. We're going to see three things about the future from this passage this evening. So what do we learn about the future? Well, the first thing we learn in this chapter of Daniel is this. The future is appalling. The future is appalling. Now, I don't know how well you slept last night, but for Daniel, it was not a good one. You see, this is the second vision in this set that Daniel has. You can see that in verse 1 of our passage this evening. Have a look there with me. Daniel 8 verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. Daniel had already had one of these visions two years earlier during the reign of Belshazzar. And that is what we had in Daniel 7. And now here in Daniel chapter 8, two years later, he has another. And this dream came at what was most likely the bleakest point of exile for Daniel. Just after Nebuchadnezzar had turned around, his son took over. And it was like everything had gone back to square one again. Back to being terrible again. It's like history repeats itself. And what Daniel was experiencing in the daytime was then matched by his dream that he had at night time. Have a look down at the very last verse of this chapter. Verse 27. 
After this vision, Daniel says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. I mean, did you ever think that receiving a vision from God would leave you like that? See, the the details that Daniel sees here, the future that God reveals to Daniel, has left him exhausted. It appalls him. It is beyond understanding. See, as we look at this passage tonight, if we really understand what it's saying, well, we should end up feeling the same. So what is going on? Well, verse 2. Daniel is transported 200 miles to the east of Babylon. He has landed in Medo-Persian territory. And he sees there before him a ram. A ram with two horns. Now it's really important here that we clock that we are in vision territory. Uh, The pictures here all stand for something. You've already seen this language in Daniel. Animals or beasts. They've been representing kingdoms. Horns, they've been representing power. So as we see this picture of a ram with two horns, we have a picture of a world power. A world power represented by a ram. Just imagine in your mind for a moment what Daniel is seeing here. You might have a a nice picture of a sheep in your mind. But a ram, let me tell you, is a force to behold. In fact, there is a reason why you do not have fields with rams left in them. Rams are powerful, uh, stubborn powerhouses. Rams can flip a human being at a moment's notice. Rams have a very short fuse. YouTube videos will teach you all you need to know. And do you see in this passage, this ram here is similar. Look down at verse 4. This ram charges... It charges west, north, south. It seems unstoppable. No one can stand against it. But then, all of a sudden, a goat, verse 5, appears. Uh, This goat, remember another kingdom, has a horn between its eyes. It comes from the west, seemingly levitating across the ground. Uh, It comes up to the ram, and it smashes it to bits. In particular, it shatters its two horns. It shatters the ram's power. And then the goat tramples all over it. Uh, The goat, it becomes very great. But the goat has its horn broken off. And another four horns appear in its place. And they go towards the four winds of heaven. That's a way of talking about worldwide power. North, east, south and west. Worldwide. Then another horn comes up and grows in power. And this is where things turn particularly bad for Daniel. Have a look down at verse 9. It turns south and east. And in particular, towards the beautiful land. Towards the land that is flowing with milk and honey. Towards the land of Israel. Uh, The language here speaks of this power thinking so highly of itself that it even tries to take on heaven. Verse 10. It stands against God's people. It stands against God's rule. It stands against God's army. It shuts down the sacrifices and it throws down the sanctuary. Do you see now? It's an appalling vision. And the point being made here is that the future is appalling. Just think about Daniel again for a moment. Daniel. He's just been through the exile. He's seen his land conquered. He's seen his people taken away. He survived through a change of government at this point. 
he'd be forgiven, wouldn't he? For thinking that the worst was over. But this vision, as Gabriel goes on to explain it in the second half of the chapter, well, it doesn't look good either, does it? I mean, there were details in this vision, in this explanation, that would have stood out like a sore thumb to Daniel and to Daniel's people. To have another power coming towards Israel would be bad enough. But the detail in verse 11 is, is terrible. Have a look at verse 11 again with me. You see, we might jump over this detail, but look again. Uh, it's worth noticing that Daniel is living at a time when the temple has already been destroyed. Daniel witnessed the very first wave of destruction against Jerusalem and against the temple. But now in this vision, this vision of the future, he sees a picture of the glorious temple being overrun again. He sees the daily sacrifices being stopped once more. Hearing that it's going to happen again is going to make his stomach turn. We can now understand, I think, the final sentence of our chapter this evening. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. So as we hear these things, maybe you're reminded of other passages in the Bible. And they remind us of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And those words, they have echoed down through history. There have been wars. There have been kingdoms that have risen and fallen. And we can fall into the trap of thinking that the worst is over. That things will get better. I like looking at this day last year, quite regularly on my phone. Do you know it was only a year ago, only a year ago, that there was shock that war had broken out in Europe once more. See, there are no promises of peace until the Lord Jesus returns. Yeah, this passage, it does show us that superpowers are not really safe. You only have to hop on a train and get off at Russell Square to see the remains of these empires listed here in the British Museum. For example, verse 4, the events of verse 4, they lasted about 200 years. That was a powerful, that was an unstoppable kingdom back then. But in the blink of history, they were gone. In fact, every power mentioned in this chapter has secured a room at the British Museum. But that doesn't remove the discomfort of people as they go through that time. Yeah, as we're going to see, God's agenda is never, never in jeopardy. But his people, they do need to be prepared for the long haul. Daniel, thinking that the end of his people's troubles is near, well, he has to think again. Daniel, as he sees this, as he records this, he needs to do that himself. He needs to know that God's people here are in for the long haul. Knowing what awaits is going to make all the difference. Knowing what is to come, although it is going to be uncomfortable, although it's going to be appalling, allows him, allows us to live wisely in the present. In Daniel's case, it means that he can find safety in the one who holds it all, rather than bowing down to the empire 
of his time. For Daniel and his people, there is still more to come. They need to settle in for the long haul because the future is appalling. Well, the second thing we learn about the future here in this chapter is that the future is repetitive. The future is repetitive. The future is... I mean, we all know the old adage, don't we, that history repeats itself. And that is the same here in Daniel chapter 8 as well. Uh, Kingdoms will rise, kingdoms will fall. That happens throughout this chapter, doesn't it? Uh, Nations will act like animals. They will act like beasts. I mean, that's all the way through the book of Daniel as well, isn't it? In fact, you see this really clearly if you compare this chapter of Daniel to the previous one. If you were here last week, Daniel chapter 7, you might remember that there was a beast that had ten horns. From those ten horns then emerged another little horn among them. And that little horn began to wage war against God's people. Well, did you notice in Daniel chapter 8, we get another little horn. And that little horn does things that are similar to what the little horn of Daniel 7 did. Uh, In both cases, the defeat of the arrogant little horn resulted in the deliverance of God's people. But if you look carefully, there are differences between the two that make it hard to see them as the same. And I think that is the point. See, this horn is meant to sound like the previous one, but it's not exactly the same. Instead, we're meant to see it as a pattern. It is something that's being repeated. It is a pattern of the kings of the earth exalting themselves against God and his people, persecuting the saints, and then through that defeat, through their defeat, God's people are delivered. In fact, it is the pattern, isn't it, of the stories that have earlier come in this book. The repetition, it indicates that Daniel wants us to see this as a a type of thing that will happen throughout history. Something that is going to happen again and again and again until the end. In fact, it's a pattern that Jesus uses in Matthew's Gospel. It's the pattern that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians. It's the pattern that John latches onto in the book of Revelation. It's the pattern that the rest of the Bible uses. In fact, Daniel here, he might be using the pattern from somewhere else that he's read as well. For example, Isaiah chapter 14. Do you remember Isaiah 14? I think you've been there in your growth groups recently. There's a king in Isaiah 14 who tries to raise himself up to the heavens. Yet what happens to him? He finds himself disgraced, brought down low. The pattern goes throughout Bible history. And that is because the future is repetitive. The future is repetitive. It doesn't take much, does it, to knock us off guard. I reckon, when I was thinking about this, that in our minds we assume that God is English. And that means things are going to stay the way that they are. No real change. But Daniel's vision shows us that history is repetitive. I mean, you only have to look through modern history to see it. You only have to go through modern history to see rulers rise up, put themselves in God's place, shut down worship, seem completely unstoppable, and then you turn the history textbook, and they're gone. I mean, this here should be a warning to the regimes of the world who want to shut down the worship of God, who want to shut down Christianity. All they need to do is open a history textbook 
and see how that works out. Because there is a rhyme, there is a rhythm to history. God's people throughout the world see cycles of oppression and hardship. As a song we're going to sing later says, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. He is faithful through it all. God's people will see cycles of oppression and hardship. Daniel's people see these cycles of oppression and hardship. Daniel, in this vision, sees more cycles of oppression and hardship. We today see cycles of oppression and hardship. Yet through all of that, we can say that God is faithful. And that leads us to our final point this evening. The very last thing to see about the future is that it is in God's hands. The future is in God's hands. Now you might be thinking to yourself that after all of this, you'd have preferred not to have read Daniel's vision into the future. Uh, You might be wondering right now, is there any good news to this at all? Well, fortunately, the good news is safe to last. And the good news is the future is in God's hands. You see, a number of things in our passage show us this. Firstly, the language. See, one aspect of this chapter that I haven't mentioned is that there has been a change. There's been a change in the language right at the start of this chapter. At this chapter in Daniel, Daniel chapter 8, we've reverted back to Hebrew. That is the language of God's people. You see, ever since Daniel chapter 2 verse 4, everything's been written in Aramaic. Aramaic, that's the common language of Persia. That is the language of exile. But here in Daniel chapter 8, the language has turned back to Hebrew again. Back to the language of God's people. And that is really important. It's really important because it means that this part is being written specifically to God's people. And one thing that that means is that God hasn't forgotten his people even as they're spread all over the earth. Secondly, this chapter is also revealed by God to Daniel. It is God who gives visions. It is God who explains visions. Uh, We learned that in chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says, God changes times and seasons. God deposes kings and raises up others. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. God reveals deep and hidden things. God knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I mean, in the sweep of history that Daniel sees here, there are definitely kings being deposed, definitely kings being raised up. And the point is that through all of this, throughout the whole of history, God has got everything in hand. From the broad sweep of history, even down to the minute detail here. Cycles of oppression and hardship, they're all seen by God. And God cares deeply about them. Have a look down at verses 13 and 14. You see, in those verses there, we see a conversation in heaven. We see in those verses that heaven cares what is going on. And notice as well that there's a limited time frame. 2,300 evenings and mornings. Implication being, there is an end. This is limited. Absolutely every part of this is in God's hands in this passage. Verse 24, God is the one who grants power for this to happen. 
Verse 25, God is the one who takes that power back again. There is a certain outcome to everything that happens. We saw that last week. God will raise up the Son of Man to sit on that throne forever. Just as Daniel 7 showed, things are going somewhere. And the great thing here is that God's agenda is never in jeopardy. But his people do need to be prepared for the long haul. Daniel seeing this, Daniel recording this, does exactly that. Just like a parent before their first day of school, knowing what awaits makes all the difference. Just like Daniel and God's people in exile, knowing what's to come lets them live wisely in the present. Just like us today, as we wait for the return of Jesus, we need wisdom to keep us going. I mean, remembering that God is in charge is a real comfort, isn't it? To know that these appalling things are going to happen, that they're going to repeat throughout history, but in that, but in that, God has full control. It's exactly the lesson that this whole book has been teaching. Exactly the lesson that King Nebuchadnezzar learnt in chapter 4. A lesson that you could agree is the point of this book of Daniel. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. These words of Daniel spoke to God's people as that history was unfolding. And through it, by paying attention to these words, God's faithful people, they weathered the storm. And they could be confident in the midst of it. And tonight, we can have even greater confidence that God has the future in his hands. You see, as we stand on this side of the cross, we can know for sure that all of history is going somewhere. That the final word is not had by the ram or by the goat, but by the lamb. You can think of it like this. In a few months from now, we'll be celebrating the coronation of King Charles III. He is the king right now. Yet on the 6th of May, 2023, he will be coronated as our king. He is the king now, but you can also say he will be the king then. Just like that, history has been guaranteed for us when Jesus died, was buried, rose and ascended. Yet there is still a day when history will be wrapped up fully and finally. Everything is done right now to guarantee that. Yet we're still awaiting that day. And that means in the meantime, we need to have perseverance. We need to live wisely. We need to look to the future. And we can live wisely as we look to the future because God has demonstrated that he has everything in his hands. Like Daniel here, we may not understand everything that happens on the world scene. We might not understand why God allows that specific thing to happen. But through all of that, we can be confident that God is working it out. We can persevere in faith. We can trust and wait. Because let me tell you, the final word is not had by the ram or by the goat, but by the lamb. Just like the people of Daniel's day, we're not home yet, but we will be, and it is guaranteed. And so, 
we live wisely now as we look to the future. Shall I pray for us that we would do that, that God would enable us to do that? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We pray that as we go into our weeks now, that you would help us to keep this in our minds. Cause us to think wisely about the future. Help us to hear this passage and see how you have all things under your control. In the apparent mess, in the repetitiveness of this world, please give us wisdom to live for you. Would the fact that we know that you're in charge, that you're in control of all things, make a difference to our lives? And would we be a witness to that, to those around us? Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Any feedback or questions can be sent to podcast at david-couch.com and I'll catch you again next time.